We're finishing our sermon series today, a journey through 2 Corinthians, and here we come to chapters 11 and 12, and this is Paul, just a really a profound passage. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's describing his ministry and many of the hardships and many of the trials and troubles that he had faced. There's a famous uh, preacher named Harry Ironsides, and besides having a fantastically masculine name, Harry Ironsides. Um, he, he was preaching a sermon. He was, uh, his ministry was active um, early 1900s, early to mid-1900s. He preached a sermon on this text, and he, he stood before the congregation. He said this. He said, I confess to you that when I read words like these, I cannot get away from the thought that in all the nearly 50 years I have known Christ as my Savior, I have just been playing at Christianity. When... When I think what this dear servant of God of the first century went through for Christ, motivated by a consuming love for the Savior, I feel that I have a great deal to learn of what it means to be a true minister of the Lord Jesus. I feel the same way. When I think about how easy I have it, how easy we have it these days, uh, we are not persecuted uh, the way that it is described here, that all the things that Paul went through. Um, yeah, and this is not persecution having to spread out and wear a mask. It could feel that way because it's uncomfortable and uh, it's, it's not ideal. It's not what we would like. But um, even, our, even the state of Massachusetts said this. This is the safer at home order from last month. It says, all residents are advised to leave home only for health care, worship, and permitted work shopping and outdoor activities. So even, our, even the state says, you know, if you're, uh, you're going to go out, just go out for essential things like worshiping God together. Like that's something that even our, our state endorses. Um, so again, now some people don't like what we have to say here. Some people don't like that we believe that the Bible is true. Uh, some people don't um, like that we believe that Jesus is the only way to, to know God. But So people might not like what we're saying, but the Apostle Paul, he was stoned and left for dead, dragged outside the city and just left there dead and survived. I mean, that's that's a totally different league that he's playing in. And and I think because of that, sometimes a text like this could feel distant from us, very distant from our personal experiences. Um, So maybe none of us has been flogged or beaten with rods, but one thing that we do share is that we all experience weakness in one way or another. Whatever the trouble, the hardship, the weakness, we do face it. And for all that he experienced, the greatest lesson of it all, he summarizes uh, when he hears the, the voice of the Lord saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's a lesson that we need to learn too. So let us pray. Father God, we're considering our own weaknesses, our own troubles, and we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would even bring to mind what you want us to think about, what you want us to focus on in this time, whatever sorrow or hardship that we have with us as we sit today. That thing that we would just love for you to fix or heal. Lord, we pray that you would just bring that to our 
hearts and to our minds during this time and consider what you want to teach us through it, Lord. May we learn this same lesson that your grace is sufficient for us and that your power is made perfect in weakness. And we pray it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, we want to understand this in the context in which it was written. We have the Apostle Paul, and uh, when he, he had established this church in Corinth, and he had traveled to other places, while he was gone, some, some other leaders came in, and they were really opponents of Paul. They were very uh, kind of a boastful people, boasting about their spirituality, about how religious they were, about their spiritual authority in the church. And as they did so, they were really undercutting Paul's authority, either Uh, overtly speaking against Paul or sort of subversively undermining his uh, authority in the life of this church. Now, uh, in the ancient world, boasting was very common. So you think about a place like Corinth, a very up-and-coming kind of a city, people uh, working hard to get ahead, and it would be very common for people to boast about you know, what they have and what they've accomplished. And I think today we're a little bit put off if somebody's just constantly boastful. But back then it was very common and then people would hold you in high esteem if you went around boasting of all of, uh, all of your good qualities or things that you've accomplished. So what Paul decides to do here is he says, okay, I'm going to, you guys are all boasting about how you know, religious and how spiritual you are. I'm going to do my own boast, but he does this completely upside-down boast. Uh, totally not what you would expect, or certainly not what they would have, has, would have expected. So what did he boast, and why did he boast in this way? Let's take a look. What did he boast? He's boasting in his suffering and in his weakness. It begins first, though, with uh, this sharing his credentials, his Jewish credentials. So his opponents... As we understand, they may have been those who, some of the early Christians who said, you know, you can follow Jesus, but you still have to follow all the Old Testament law of Moses. And they were uh, piling on top of faith in Jesus all these obligations of law, which is very difficult for the non-Jewish believers to adopt uh, the, the practice and the, the lifestyle and the eating and all these things. And so in verse 22, Paul reminds them, he said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. He's reminding them, you know, people of God, that he was worshiping the same God of his ancestors, that he was fully Jewish just like they were. And he he wasn't trying to convert people away from that. He wasn't himself seeking to be converted in his faith. He had a powerful experience with Jesus Christ. And it, to- it totally changed him. You know, sometimes people convert one religious belief to another because it suits their, you know, their worldview or their philosophy of life. Some people convert because it's, it's you know, socially advantageous. Or maybe you convert because you know, somebody's getting married and uh, their spouse or their future spouse would be a different religion. And maybe you convert so that it all kind of matches or whatever uh, reason, advantage that you want. Paul's saying, look, I get no advantage from following Jesus. I, I was kicked out of the synagogue. I was, I've been imprisoned. I've been, I've been uh, arrested by Jewish leaders for my faith in Jesus. 
I wasn't out to change my religion because this was never about religion. It was about a powerful experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, experiencing his grace and understanding that he fulfilled all the Old Testament law. So we don't have to continue to follow those things. But I'm not I'm not trying to uh, work against the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament. I believe the Hebrew scriptures and I believe they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is sort of an aside, but we live in a community where there's a lot of Jewish people. Many of us have Jewish neighbors and friends. Some of us family members who are Jewish. And it reminds us that this is a really good starting point to remind people that we too believe the Hebrew scriptures. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the God we worship. And we know him fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But everything in the Old Testament, we believe. And it's a great starting point of faith. And so here Paul is saying, look, they're boasting about how much they follow these laws. I want you to know that I also trust the same God of Abraham that they do. But he continues his little boast in this way in verse 23. And this is where it gets good. Not that that wasn't good. Verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to, to even try this here. But I am more. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times from the Jews received 40 lashes minus one. So this 40 lashes was the maximum physical penalty that you could get under the Jewish law. Uh, so you get, you get uh, flogged um, and you get whipped 40 times. So the reason it's 40 lashes minus one, because if you... If you were lashed more than 40 times and you die, then that could be considered murder. But if it's less than 40 times and you die, then that's just your fault for committing whatever crime you committed. Because people would often die. This punishment was so severe that you could die. So he's getting just less than 40 and he got that five times and survived it. Three times he was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked, spent a night in the open sea, constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, from bandits, from Jews, Gentiles, in the city, in the country, from false believers, losing sleep, going hungry, without food, cold, naked. He's just, go- who would boast like this? In the ancient world, or even today, you'd look at uh, somebody's resume like that and say, this is your credentials? You know, you've been shipwrecked and you've been beaten and arrested and this is, this is your, who would boast like this? In the ancient world, they would have thought, this man is cursed. This man is not a servant of God. He's, He's crazy to have that much failure on your record. But this man knew Jesus Christ. And he knew that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. That's why this man, when he was teaching another young leader named Timothy, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. And then we're, you know, today we think, well, what if we're not persecuted? Does that mean we're not living this godly life? And I think that's a fair question. You know, the world that hated Jesus and that killed Jesus? How will they just sort of love us and just think we're great for following Jesus? Maybe we live um, decent lives and respectable lives, but are we living a, a godly life as, as Jesus intended for us? I think it's a fair question. 
And then on top of this, so he's, he's just describing all these ways that he's uh, struggled. And then in verse 28, I love this. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's so beautiful. You know, yeah, I've been shipwrecked and I've been imprisoned and I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. But you know what really bothers me? I, I love the people. I see their burdens. I see their hurts. I know that there's false teachers out there. I know that they struggle, and my heart is for them above all these other things that I experience. What an amazing, selfless love that is. I mean, take a look. Just look to your left and right. Look at somebody who's not in your group. Just just peek. Just look. Okay, now not out loud. But would you take a beating with rods for that person you just looked at? You don't have to answer out loud. But the selfless love that he had experienced all these things, but his heart was still for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he gives this summary statement in verse 29. He says, who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led to sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I don't think that the point here is that we're supposed to compare our suffering and our weaknesses to Paul in the first century, right? We live in a very different world. We um, have, it's, it's societally, it's very different. But at the same time, considering our weaknesses and our struggles and our persecutions, uh, because we serve, we, we live in a different culture, but we serve the same God. The same God who was showing Paul something through all these experiences wants to show us something through ours, so that such that we too could say, you know what, my weaknesses, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Why? Why did he boast in this way? I want to give you three reasons here. And they all have to do with the sufficiency of Jesus in the midst of these things. The first is this, it was to keep him from pride. Verse 7 says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. He said, so I would not become conceited, so I would not become proud, so I would not think that all the things I accomplished was just my own strength and my own endurance. God gave me this thorn in my flesh. What was this thorn in his flesh? And there's a lot of theories about what this thorn was. The Greek word for thorn is anything that's just sharp and painful. So it's the word you would use for thorn, or it could be the word you use for a stake, like a tent stake. So something perhaps uh, greater than that. Um, but, you know, thorn is a good um, translation here. Some said, well, he, the thorn in his flesh was this messenger of Satan, so it was some sort of spiritual attack, some kind of demonic attack, or that uh, the enemy was using a person to really discourage or oppose Paul or persecute him. So it could have been, it could have been that, for sure. Other people theorize that this is some sort of carnal temptation. This was some sort of uh, kind of code language for lust or some other sin that he just kept getting hung up on and, you know, throughout his ministry, that he just you know, was constantly tempted. Could be. Others say, look, a thorn in the flesh is clearly a physical thing. It was a flesh thing. And so this was uh, perhaps a vision problem that Paul had. Because you know he had been blinded, as Scripture says. And there's other evidence that maybe he had vision problems, and that was the thorn in his flesh. 
Other people said, well, clearly he had epilepsy or some other you know, condition that kept cropping up. Others say, look, he's taught, maybe it's more like a stake that's driving into his body. It's clearly migraine headaches that were caused by malaria that Paul would have had from traveling around that part of the world. Maybe it's an injury from being, you know, having been stoned and, and you know, injury to his spine or is there some kind of thorn in his flesh. Other people say, what if it was just a thorn and they hadn't invented tweezers yet, you know? Let's actually research that. The tweezers actually had been invented. We don't know what it was. And there's actually a beauty in not knowing because it allows us to see uh, what, you, you know, rather than to say, oh, I've had that same injury or I've had that same problem. It allows us to learn, but we, we don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that God allowed it and that God used it in his life. That God allowed this messenger of Satan to, to torment him, whether it was a physical thing or a spiritual thing. And we're reminded that actually, yeah, God does allow us to suffer at times. We think of the, in the Old Testament, the book of Job, that you know, Satan just can't go do anything he wants, but under God's sovereignty, Satan can do his work. That God is not the direct cause of the evil in our lives or the temptations that we face, but that in, indirectly, you know, God does allow these things and he could use it. Which is a good reminder, because we, you know, we want to think God will just take everything away. He'll take away all the pain. He'll take away all the suffering. And sometimes God says, no, actually, this is what you need. And Paul knew he needed it. Firstly, to keep him from pride. Secondly, it pushed him to prayer. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And we're reminded there, we remember Jesus in his weakness, in his suffering, also prayed three times, Lord, take away this cup of suffering on the, on the eve of his arrest. Jesus is praying, Lord, if you could take this away from me, take it away, but not my will. Your will be done, Father. Sometimes God does not answer the prayer the way that we would want him to. And it's as if God is saying, you know, that very thing that you're praying to me for, that very thing that is causing you sadness or suffering, that very thing that is tormenting you, you want me to take it away, but I want you to know it's driving you to me. It's driving you to pray. It's causing you to rely on me. It's forcing you to depend on me and you will be stronger and you will be better through it because you're not trusting yourself you're trusting me and you need this thing in your life to realize that that's what exactly what you need God can use it to draw you to his heart and I don't know about you I don't know if you've prayed God please Heal this. God, please fix this situation. God, please take this thing away from me. And God doesn't. And in that moment, for you, can you hear God's voice saying, No, I won't remove it. But what I will do is I'll give you the grace. I will give you grace that you can endure it. 
And as you endure this thing, you will know my presence. You will know my strength made perfect in your weakness. I'll give you the grace. These things draw us to him. And thirdly, these these boasting and weakness, the the third thing is it it shows us, it does show us God's power, God's true power. Because there's, Whenever you have that thing that's dragging you down, it can, and God is not taking it away, God is not fixing it, you can either just be driven to despair, you can be driven towards self-pity, or you can see God's power through it and in it. Verse 10. He says, That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we remember that the power of Jesus Christ is not power that comes from strength, but power through weakness. And it's not just a nice thought, but it's, it's central, it's core to our faith. There's this false notion of faith, and it, slips, it can slip into our thinking at times. There's this false notion of faith that uh, we, whatever strength we have, we tap into God's power and it takes us to this higher level. That I'm going to experience the power of God and it's going to help me get ahead and get me beyond to the next level. But that's a very, it's a very self-centered conception of faith if we think that way. Really, it's about us becoming uh, lower and being humbled to experience the grace of our crucified Savior. From the beginning of faith, our faith begins when we say, I do not have the ability. I am, in, I am a sinner and I am incapable of saving, my sale, in, incapable of saving myself. I, I cannot, on my own strength, reach God that I have to humble myself and just receive his grace. And that is how our faith starts. That Jesus Christ had to do something that I could not do. He had to die in my place so that I could receive his grace and know him through that. And then as we grow in our faith, it's not about uh, becoming stronger and stronger and, and going up and up the ladder. It's about growing closer to Christ through, um, through hu- humility through identifying with his suffering. Paul wrote somewhere else, I I want to become like Christ in his death. I I, I want to understand that. And when we are weak, we, we can, in a sense, understand it even better. The weaker I am, the more I understand Christ, the more I can experience his power. Because it's his power, not my strength. So I don't know what God is bringing to your mind as we talk about this, as we've prayed this morning. Is, is God, is there one thing that's just the thing you would just love him to heal, the thing that you would just love him to take away and fix in your life? And the question is, well, what if God does not want to change it? Now, generally, we believe that God is a God who desires to heal and who does heal today. And we do call out to him in prayer. Because we trust his power to, to change things. But what if this thing doesn't get better? What if God is saying, I'm not going to take it away, but I will give you my grace to endure it. 
we receive his grace. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, but Jesus got a whole crown of thorns on his head. And he got the spikes, the nails in his hands and in his feet. He did that to bring us his grace. And the more we bring ourselves low and the more that we humble ourselves, the more that we are weak, the more that we will know his strength and the more that we will rely on his power. And may you hear the voice of Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let us pray. Father God, this is a... This is a difficult message for us because we desire to be healed and we desire to have uh, peace in our lives. And yet we acknowledge today that you may call us to suffer and to experience these things. We just pray that you would show us your grace and that we would by faith receive it. That as we go from this place, that we take with us the wounds, we take with us the hurts, we take with us the losses, knowing that you are a God who will one day make it all right. But in this day, Lord, we may experience it. We we may continue to experience these hardships, Lord. So we pray that you would give us your strength this day. And may it be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.